0: If a retailer can kind of slim down a process, use stuff like you've got, like the Vipers and the, the other f- quick insights, quick validation processes to make sure they're on, on the right track. I think um, you can do things quickly if everybody wants to.
1: Uh, welcome to the Innovate podcast, a show where we uh, discuss, uh, dissect, uh, and attempt to rebuild the world of product innovation within consumer goods. Uh, today, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Neil Nugent, a, uh, a legend of product innovation in the UK food and drink sector. Uh, Neil's worked for multiple retailers and has probably forgotten more about product development than most people uh, ever know. Uh, he's now an entrepreneur in the food service sector with the Panku street food brand. Neil, welcome to the Innovate podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thank you very much. Thanks for the nice intro. <laughs> That's as nice as I get. Um, <laughs> h- how are you today? Uh, and yeah, you coping with the uh, coping with the heat? Yeah, it's toasting.
0: Um, I'm in York, and uh, it's it's really warm. I think it's probably the warmest day of the year so far. So um, yeah, uh, my dog is outside in the sun, and he'll come bouncing back in a minute. It'll be too hot, no doubt. Uh, so if you get disrupted by a great big hound. Who- <laughs>
1: We know why. Um, good, right? To start with, we tell us a bit about yourself for the for the listeners uh, who may not uh, know who you are, Neil. First of all, well, um, I, I, I describe myself as a
0: chef. Really, I, I started uh, in in uh, catering college, working in restaurants. Ended up working all over the uh, you know London, and then some nice restaurants, and then across the world working on sort of rich people's yachts, and then. Came back to the UK and um, started working at a restaurant in Leeds and we opened a place called Pool Court and we got Michelin Star and Brasserie 44 and it was across the way from Asda House in, in Leeds and I ended up falling into product development because I met a few people from Asda. Uh, ended up working for Asda for 11 years, then on to Waitrose for three and a bit years and right. uh, four years at Morrisons and think uh, so yeah, a big career in food development, looking after innovation, looking after own brand in the
1: main. Awesome. Okay. So there's, there's not that many retailers that you've not worked for, which is a double negative, but yeah. <laughs> a whole <bunch>, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 25 years. Um, you know, so it's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But no, it's... Yeah, it's uh, quite the career. Yeah. Quite the career. Um, so before we get into the main topic of uh, of, of innovation, we like to do just a few kind of rapid fire questions, so the the uh, the, the listeners can get to know you a little bit. So the first one would be, uh, what, what's your favourite city in the UK for food? And I'm talking kind of eat, eating out and and, yeah, and dining. Can't beat London. I mean York's brilliant. It's got some
0: great great sort of small local restaurants and stuff. But London is probably one of the best places, if not the best place in the world for food.
1: Right. Okay. Awesome. Um, what what would your death row uh, meal, be your your final your final meal. I'm allowed more than one course, or what? <laughs> you, you can have you can have
0: three, yeah. Three courses, Okay, we'll probably probably go for uh, something like um, uh, clams from uh, El, El Testier in Venice, if I'm allowed to do that. Uh, they, they right. With with pasta, and then then I would have Pierre Kaufman's uh, hare royale, and then probably. Uh, some cheese because it's just my vice, total vice. Some charos, some at savarin, <laughs> or
1: something really rich, and then I will probably feel like dying anyway. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big, big cheese fan myself as well. Yeah. Um, and, and as we sort of segue towards the, uh, the the main topic of the podcast, if if and I'm sure you, you know, young people do speak to you about joining the, uh, the 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 food industry what would your what would you say to someone who's considering joining the food industry and i guess we'll, we'll focus on product development rather than uh, rather than chefing do you just got to be really interested and in love food and
0: uh, and, and uh, not not from just an eating it point of view just understanding it and uh, you know i always say to people you'll be better at product development if you if you know how to cook and how, if you know how to cook you usually know how to taste yeah. And and you know things then start to fall into place. If you're really interested in it, you, you know you could start to build yourself a food in uh, a career in food
1: uh, quite quite easily. You've got to kind of really love it, yeah. right? Okay, okay. And if if you hadn't have spent you know the last twenty five years working in the food industry, do you, do you know where you would have? What would have been your your alternative? Where would you have loved to spend your career? Well, it, it, it's twenty
0: five years just in retail. Unfortunately, a, there's another right. dozen, <laughs> another dozen years in. Rent before that so yeah i'm getting on a bit but yeah i, I mean look if it uh, you know of course i wanted to be a rock star and a footballer but then you know if 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 those failed I'd probably, i probably i would have gone into carpentry or sort of making stuff you know definitely right Make, okay. making things whether it be furniture or building stuff i'd, I'd love to do that as well
1: right okay okay very good. Right, we're gonna we're gonna move now into the topic of, um, of of products innovation within the kind of the broader sphere of consumer goods, and obviously focusing on on, on food and drink. Yeah. Um, we'll 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 pick it apart a little bit in terms of in terms of process, in terms of good practice, bad practice, what what you've seen, and and, and try and kind of project forward a bit in terms of you know what it, what it could look like in in, in five years uh, from now, and what you think it needs to do to kind of get fit for purpose to. You know, to, to kind of cope with the, uh, I guess, the economic conditions that we find ourselves in at the moment. So, I guess as a, as a starting point, if you if you had to kind of score the, the UK food and drink innovation sector for for impact, what 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 marks out of ten would you give it, and why?
0: I'll
1: probably give us eight or nine because
0: we're we're kind of, I'd say we're we're kind of a world leader when it comes to innovation, and certainly the sort of fresh food till chain, how we turn around food quickly. How we, um, you know, do new recipes, embrace new cuisines. You know, our shelves are full of all sorts of different types of cuisine types, and that's really unusual in in any country. So I would say we're a leader, um, and we are followed by many other countries, including the people going about America and stuff. But you know, it, 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 the, I think we're way ahead of those guys.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I guess you're in a in a nice position now, in that you're 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 not working for one of the major retailers, so you can hopefully be re- relatively open with your with your thoughts. I mean, kind of reflecting on the last five or ten years, what what do you think the innovation sector as a whole could do could do better when it comes to either you know process or or outcomes of of, of product innovation, product development? I
0: think you, if we're talking specifically, probably about the own brand side of things, which is what I mostly did. Uh, yeah. uh but the I think the own brand is it, is just got a little bit stuck with uh, the you know they call it good better best I think They really need to break out right. of that they just it just creates too many skews in a in, in a category I think if they could um you know d- ditch that really give customers you know the good stuff and then the better stuff the bit in the middle usually is a bit of a, a bit of a nonsense so um mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, it creates, I think, creates kind of blurring of what is good and what isn't. So I, I just think, um, you know, if if the retailers, could move on from that, they, they do, uh, and, and also work perhaps from an innovation point of view where they do a lot of collaborations. I think Iceland are brilliant at it where they, they work with um, brands to give them a real point yeah. of difference. I think yeah. own brands certainly lost a bit of that spirit of being a bit different we're all starting to look the same so um so yeah you need there's 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 a lot to do out there there's a lot to do and i I think uh, own brand teams could you know push on
1: again definitely right okay and and how has innovation process changed over the last 15-20 years as you've moved from different retailers the the last one being Being Iceland, has it fundamentally shifted or is it still, are the basics still a version of a stage gate process that most retailers use to bring products to market? Yeah, the process is, you know, it depends who's in the leadership seat because
0: it's often, um, it really takes too long in the majority of of retailers. Um, And usually when you've spotted a trend and then you start to try and deliver it and it hits a stall six, nine months later, it's too late um, or missed the boat. Which is where I think that, you know, um, working with someone like Iceland, you know, they, they could turn around things so quickly because they're a bit smaller and there's, there's no hierarchy and the, the process is, is super simple. You know, it, it, it was quite liberating to work somewhere like that because you could turn stuff around really quickly. Whereas working for Asda or, you know, um, the slowest were probably Waitrose. But, it, 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 you know, they just overthink things, uh, take too long. Yeah. Too much hierarchy, too much sign-off process. It's right. it, and as a
1: consequence, it's too late. Yeah, right. Okay. So let let us let, build on that. I mean, just compare some of the approaches to the different retailers you've you have you, worked at. It sounds like a lot of uh, good things at Iceland in terms of speed and 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 you know, fluidity. What, what yeah, you know, if you kind of picked out a a, a positive from all, all of the retailers that you've worked at, what would it be?
0: I mean, I think um, speed and agility. Someone like Iceland were were, were amazing, but as a, but then also, you know, uh, uh, some things weren't maybe weren't as thought thought out as well. Whereas someone like Raytr right. would think about it, do a bit of research, come back to it, and you know, as slow and as boring as it was, <laughs> by the time you did launch it, sometimes it was it, it was right, and it's had some longevity. Um, Asda were just too big a machine you know they, they they had a lot of insight customer insight but by the time you've launched something and they have a thing yeah. which is hours in store and um you know your, your moments in store where it could be nine months before 12 months before you actually launch something and that could be quite brutal because you know it it's it just it's just too long and your customer moments right. have of um have ended if you like but yeah it, it's it's um if, if, if a retailer can kind of slim down a process, use stuff like you've got like the Vipers and the, the other f- quick insights, quick validation processes to make sure they're on, on the right track. I think um, you can do things quickly if everybody wants to.
1: Right, okay. Hmm. And just re- reflect on your time at Morrison's because I, I knew you pretty well back then and I certainly remember there was a particular year at Morrison's where you, you launched a, staggering amounts of products in the I think in the tens of thousands it was something something like that. Turn around uh six thousand products in about eleven
0: ten ten eleven months, which was in right insane really, and especially the fresh stuff. And and that was um you know a real strategic piece to move them forward. Um and and it was brilliant it, you know again that was quite liberating but uh, it was because everyone wanted to do it and everyone pushed in the right direction and everyone you know uh, was kind of behind it. everyone uh, and and there was supplier conferences to help the suppliers fit along with it and you know so that that, that was a very enjoyable first sort of couple of years at, at morrison's uh, right, okay. and uh, you know of, of turning something from what at the time we called it from uh, own label to own brand own label would be something you just stick your label on own brand is something that you genuinely own um right uh, and and own the recipe for and are are, are are kind of proud to sell so um yes. so you know that was a, a fan, kind of fantastic turnaround um but you know and and, and again there was because of its speed, there's a few mistakes, but there's also some glorious stuff as well, you know. So yeah. uh, that that was really quite enjoyable at the time. Um, and and as as you know, done similar projects at like Waitrose and stuff, you know, Heston and Delia and all that kind of stuff. Once everyone's pushing in the right direction, it was, you know, it's, it was it's easy it's easy if everyone's swimming that way and there's no one pushing back. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's there's been some some great stuff, and that that first you know eighteen months at two years at Morrison's was brilliant because it achieved so much. Right. Okay. But that, and that right, just you know it was Dalton Phillips, and you know it, it was yeah. it wasn't uh, people pushing up; it was everyone was involved. So that's why right. okay. that's why it happened. That's why it happened so quickly.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. And, and then just thinking about your own kind of behaviours when you're when you're developing products yourself, or you're working very closely with teams. That, that, that I mean, w- one of my observations about the industry is that there are there's there's too many launches, and it's that re- reducing that kind of long tail of failed innovation is one of the things that I think the industry can do can do better. I mean, how, how do you kind of assess the level of risk in an individual product that you're looking to to bring to market? Yeah, I think. Um...
0: It, it, it was sort of um, going back. A, you know, it was a bit different twenty years ago or so. Where there was there was uh, less shops, less risk. You could try stuff. The the yeah. pressure on suppliers was less. So you, you could be you know you could be just launching stuff to see if it worked, or you might try a hundred shops. Whereas now. You know the suppliers can't afford to do that the retailers can't afford to do that so you have to mm-hmm. make you launch something it is going to uh, add value and give give you sales so it yeah. it's a bit more of a pensive process where you you might have like say use Viper or whatever, uh, used a bit more customer insight to, d- to deliver, or now you can use artificial intelligence or whatever it is, just to try and make sure that when you, you all the effort and money you spend on launching something, whether it's you or your supply base, um, it, it's going to have an impact. And yeah. I've always felt less is more, but um, sometimes, especially in own label, you're chasing numbers. Oh, we have got to launch a thousand, you know, value lines or we've got it, the fat thousand might not be the right number five hundred might have been enough you know so sometimes you are chasing numbers and it is you know it, it, it's it's wrong but um but look I, I think you you have to have a bit more insight now before you launch something mm-hmm. across the cross yeah,
1: yeah. It's a lot to get it wrong now it really does yeah and yeah. and you've obviously launched launched products across all the different um, temperature areas, so grocery, frozen, chilled. Obviously, your last retailer was Iceland. Is, is it easier to be a bit ballsier in, in say, frozen, where you've got the fact that if you get it wrong, you've still got nine or 12 months to, to set it through compared to, say, chilled, where you know, if you get it wrong, you've got horrendous waste issues, yeah. or does that not really come into play?
0: Oh, no, no, it definitely comes into play. You can be a bit bolder in, 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 in frozen, you can also kind of say to a supplier because you know if you're working with a supplier let's take your your moq your minimum order quantity and let's give it a try so you do a production run you buy that truck full or whatever it is and then um you you test it out and if it starts to sell you you can go again Uh, whereas fresh food's a bit more um more complex it's also more expensive Mm -hmm. uh, to shift around and it's therefore as you say waste much higher risk so I think it again working in frozen and uh it can be quite liberating because of that because you can try some stuff and yeah. and and quickly very quickly find out whether it's going to sell and the the value risk is a lot a lot a lot lower right know, okay but you can work with the suppliers MLQs whether it's the packaging at minimum order or whatever it might be you can you can you can take risks you know if, if you know, a great. A great example is you know we it's you, you do something. We, we did something with Iceland for the for the uh, royal wedding. You know, Harry and Meghan, and it, it was let's just order ten thousand. If they sell, they sell. Cost they all sold, and you know we bought ten thousand packs. We bought ten thousand. You know there was the case per store. It it was a straightforward <clears throat> transaction, and, and it was super low risk. If you'd done that in chills, you could have ended up with a quite costly um yeah uh, uh, waste bill you know <laughs> yeah yeah, so, yeah. You know, it, it is it, it is a bit easier and frozen i would say right
1: on yeah. shoot out the logistics of it definitely yeah yeah for sure okay um and and in terms of you know kind of specific practices behaviors approaches What's kind of either one or, or some things that you that you do differently now when bringing products to market compared to you know when when you first started out at ASDA? Well, I think you're.
0: I know we, I've always, almost always said this. Maybe I didn't say it when I was a bit younger, but you're only as good as certainly as a retailer. You're only as good as your supplier, and you supply right. it. And um, and it's the same now as I've got some of my own brands. I'm only as good as the people who can supply it um yeah. so building those relationships with that supply base is and uh trust get getting them to innovate getting them to do products that are perhaps a little bit different for them and for for, for retail is you know it, and it's securing that and having uh agreements with them that they might only supply you whether that's the only supply iceland or waitrose or whatever or whether they supply my mm-hmm. brand, then you can kind of put a moat around what you do so i think Supplier relationships are absolutely key, and that's what i would probably yeah. do differently from what I've done before. Uh, Retailers right. tend to try and splash it about a bit, as in they'll tender things, and but I do believe genuinely in trying to build great relationships with these suppliers.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. Do you, Do you think, or are you witnessing um, nervousness in the supply base at the moment? Because we're obviously you know deep deep in this cost of living crisis, do you think that's likely to impact innovation over the next, let's just say, 12 months? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, obviously I've had a super weird last couple of years, but
0: uh, and then all these sort of incredible, I've never seen anything like it, cost increases and, um, you know, but yes, it's um, going to affect innovation because actually a lot of the stuff you're doing is just trying to keep products on the shelf Um mm-hmm that you already sell, I've already got good volume. or keep on top of the orders you've got because you know, whether it's energy, wheat, grain, whatever it is, that's kind of causing you problems. You're trying to keep on top of that. So that is definitely going to, going to affect product innovation. I think you are going to see a lot less of it in September. Uh, there's a number of reasons why, you know, September is always a great time of year in the UK retail. Everyone's launching new ranges and bumping uh, yeah. categories and, uh, through sort of September October, you usually find that's a, a, a great period for innovation. But I think on the back of HFSs, which sort of has gone away, sort of, and on the yeah. back of increases, we're probably, you know, I don't know for sure, but probably going to see a lot less sort of creativity in the market um, as as a, as a consequence because you you know suppliers and buyers and um, are just got the heads down and working out how to keep stuff on the shelf at a decent price yeah. um you know it's it's re- really tricky i've some of the numbers i've seen and some of the problems i have come across myself you just like I, I, you know things whether it's finland going on strike and you can't get any labels yeah. like, you know there's all sorts of new new challenges that are you know break <laughs> out you know so it's <laughs> But, yeah, it's uh, it's a tricky period, isn't it? It's been bonkers.
1: For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, yeah. lots of horror stories coming from various contacts in, in, in retailers and suppliers at the moment. It's it's unprecedented, no doubt. Yeah. The, the disappointing thing I've
0: found is retailers trying to ignore it and uh, not, right. not kind of negotiating with their suppliers, just sort of trying to ignore it. Which is very
1: disappointing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's going to have a structural impact on the on the supply base, isn't it? Pretty quickly with the way that the I, you know the, the input prices for the manufacturers are not they're not negotiable, unfortunately. <laughs> so, no, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and if if uh, if the retailers would you know
0: perhaps come to the table a little bit, and you know what I found some of the people I deal with try, trying to ignore it, which is disappointing. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay, thinking about the, the future for a moment, let's just you know, kind of try and re- reflect on what we think innovation could lo- look like. So cycle forward kind of three, four, five years time, let's put the cost of living crisis to, to the side for, uh, for, for one moment. What, what, what do you think innovation could look like? What, what are the kind of the, the likely drivers of, of, of change either in terms of process or, or structure or, 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 or technology? What, what, what do you see at retailer level when you, you think about innovation? Uh, in a few years time yeah i mean obviously i think you know like you say, if you put this aside the next
0: we're going to have an impact for the next couple of years but what i'd say will become bouncing out of it with innovation definitely and i i think hopefully from a retail point of view they'll get their act together they'll speed up a little bit because customers don't wait uh, and with the whole kind of social media the way things are happened so quickly and the demand for stuff, it, you know, the, the, if, if you just look at the, the kind of vegan movement, it, uh, the plant-based movement, it didn't come from restaurants or retailers launching stuff. It came from, you know, social media, people eating more plant-based yeah. food and everyone else followed. And, uh, you know, normally you have a restaurant base in a cuisine then the retailers pick it up and then the people buy it. But it's... You know, it's just not working like that anymore. So you've got this whole different way of people looking at food. So I think retailers need to be super quick, super responsive. And I think it's going to be really exciting in, in the next um, couple of years. We're going, you know, we're going to drag our feet a little bit. But, um, and, and the process has to be much quicker. And right. we can use technology to help us make really clever decisions about what we do next and what you focus on next so um so I'm, I'm you know quite optimistic and quite excited uh about about what we do you know I, we, we've got this brand called panku and it's it's in asda and we're selling you know beef bulgogi and all, all sorts of unusual recipes and you know two years ago people told me that that wouldn't sell in asda but it does people are interested in trying out new different different foods so so i'm 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 quite excited about what people are into what people will try and what people will eat and how they'll spend the money so um I, i'm you know r- really excited about pe- exploring new diets as in japanese diet asian diet as opposed to dietary you know so so right. it's 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 it, i you know fascinated to see how it moves on and i'll be definitely keeping a close eye on trends and what's going on out there for sure you know uh, it's it's quite exciting. It's, it really
1: yeah. is. Yeah. And, and and sort of you know, touching on a point that we made at the, the the start of the the episode, but but thinking about, you know, kind of people wanting to get into product development. Um, you know, many product developers do come from a chefing background. But what you know, what, what kind of generic skill sets do you think have enabled you to be successful within um within innovation and product development? Well I think there's there's um you know if you, if you've got
0: the food skills and like i said i, I think being able to cook and understand food helps you uh, taste so you're always training your palate and but i think if you look at the generic skills i think the ability to listen is really important um, cuz there's there's um you know especially in this sort of chef community they like to impose and <laughs> not necessarily listen, more like tell um but um but yeah i think certainly listening to what's going on, listening about customers, listening about listening, going into stores, talking to customers, that sort of thing is, so the, those listening skills, I would say if, uh, I think there was a listening course when I was at ASDA, how to, li- there probably was, there was a course for every ASDA. But, <laughs> but, but, but this general leadership and, and how to influence people would say would be really important. Uh, you know, just some generic skills about how to, to engage with stakeholders to get things done is is really really important and and um and, and not just stay in your food corner actually learn about the wider piece of retail whether it's logistics who you need to influence to make things happen and um and and that big store community is really important um uh, one of the things that asda did really well and prepared me really well for which i, did, I didn't didn't realize until i left is you know we we, we uh, each senior manager would have a a store that they buddied up with. So I had to go to that store once or twice a month and spend a day there. And you would spend a day with the colleagues and the customers and you come back and you've got a bit more insight about what really is going on. So you're not just sat in your head office creating stuff. Um, uh, so, that, so that, so that kind of generic listening and, and, and stakeholder management influencing uh, I, I, I think uh, are, are really really key skills it's probably you know being able to sort of project manage i suppose in 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 a way as well is, is 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 generic skills but that's for me the influencing bit
1: is 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 really really key for sure yeah particularly in businesses the size of some of the retailers that you've worked at
0: i know yes and and and, and i think as well you can um uh, when you're in your food teams and, and, and you're with your kind of colleagues, product developers, whatever, you can start to develop food for yourself. Um, and that won't happen if you do all the stuff that, uh, you know, if, you manage, if you're talking to your stakeholders and you say, you, 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 you develop food for the customers that you have, as opposed to uh, creating food for yourself. And I've been guilty of that in my past, oh, so let's do this because I like it. Um and and some people push a bit too hard on their own personal um, needs as opposed to what actually customers genuinely want. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so it's uh, yeah that that that's uh, someone else said. I can't remember who said it. He said, "Oh, never open a shop for yourself. Never write a menu for yourself. Never develop food for yourself." Someone oh. said, I don't, "I don't." It's probably some wise geezer or something. But I can't. So wise, I can't remember. But who? But it, you know, you. – it, it is, you should never do that, um, for sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, that and I do see it, you know. I want it to be like this, and you're like, okay, maybe you do, but that's probably wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure, you've seen it, Ben. <laughs> no doubt, yeah, and I, I, probably been responsible for it myself as well. <laughs> no,
0: yeah. I am, you know, I should have been locked up years ago. <laughs> on <that one. laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and just focusing on on products for a, for a moment, kind of a, a negative and a, and a positive. But well, you know, if you reflect back on your, I guess, kind of more recent retail career, what a, a product launch or range launch that that was, you know, kind of disappointed versus expectations, and or frustrated, and, and, and what did you learn from it? Um, I think uh, I've had loads of disappointments,
0: and I think that's you know. It's it's that thing if you if you're not failing you're not trying type stuff. There's there's a bit of that as well. Um, but um, uh, disappointments. I guess I guess we launched um, during COVID. We launched like courier Range, with, and we did it through Asda, and it it just bombed. And um, it, I don't know. It's just I'm still baffled a little bit as to why we didn't. There's a number of reasons, uh, and one of them was it was online. And the, and the kind of the functionality of all the 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 software and stuff didn't work very well so there's a one that's kind of i'll blame that rather than the recipes <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that i was devastated that was called collabo kitchen i was pretty devastated about that because that was a lot of work and um i'm probably still paying for it somewhere and then um but yeah the the, the, the over the years has been also i mean heston bombed at waitrose for a for the first six, seven months, eight months or so, it just never sold anything. We uh, right. were just getting it wrong, and then suddenly uh it was the, the orange in the middle pudding thing, and yeah. uh, pudding. And then everything started to sort of fall into place about what what we need to do with Heston. So, it, it, you know, we launched about thirty odd forty products with Heston, and they, you know, they're probably still in a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> It, it just didn't sell at all, and um, and they were just too niche And then suddenly we started to hit it. You know, it was, you know, um, the way he did his sausage, the way he did his bacon, it was the, the way he did his Christmas pudding. It was, it was actually, you know, a tweak on the norm that was going to hit the spot, not the uh, rose petal sea salt, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, on the dressing or the vanilla mayo so you know anyway that i have a lot loads and loads of failed stuff and some glorious stuff as well so yeah just keep trying i suppose
1: (laughs) so that that, give us an example of the glorious stuff maybe it doesn't need to be yours but maybe kind of a product or range that you've seen on the market in the last last couple of years that you thought yeah that's that's really good that's really impressive what they've done there um i like ms's they've just done
0: some curries and they've put it in a you know they're, they're brilliant they're so expensive um you know it's, unfortunately i think they'll uh you know it's a real step on that they've done i think it's the cold right. collection or something and i was delighted to see it but then you know like uh, nearly fell over when i put them through the till um right. you know, but they were you know fantastic stuff and it's a great to see some someone pushing the boundaries but i, I think they might be a bit too expensive so they're they're you know kind of fantastic i love you know even something like what well, one of the brilliant things um back in 208 2009 was Waitrose doing essentials you know I, I it was my first project with sort of my first project with Waitrose. i didn't really want to do it because i would just come from asda and they were doing value food and i thought great i'm going to waitress i'm going to do some lovely fancy stuff and they said no neil we're going to do uh, essentials everyday essentials first but it right. changed it made people reassess Waitrose and from a value point of view, and it was perfect for them, perfect timing, and got people coming back shopping there. So, and we soon followed it with the fancy stuff, you know, but um it, it was what that business needed, and it was a good strategy at the time. um So, that that was a, a glorious launch of, of, of products. So, and M Kitchen was good at Morrison's, that was fun. I've done all the Geno's. Asda and stuff, and that's that's good. And I'm very proud of Panku, you know, what we've done with that. Um, you know, it's in 107 shops now, which is great. You know, the sort of real
1: yeah. kiosks. So, so yeah, there's lots of winners, lots of losers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, just to kind of close on a on a, a positive note, uh, what do you think the, the innovation sector does you know, really, really well, that's not necessarily kind of understood externally or, 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 or talked about uh, externally. I think the thing that people don't understand is
0: how complex it is to... What we what we do brilliantly here is how we um, they, they perhaps don't understand that everything starts with a recipe. It starts with someone like me you know, developing it in the kitchen. It starts with a recipe. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the logistics of turning that recipe into... And the process of turning it into um, something that goes into a tray and it's 400 grams and it gets moved around the country and it gets into a store and it's still got eight day shelf life or whatever it is, it that is a fantastic piece of work. You know, a lot of other countries just don't do that. You know, the the the, the way we have, we're a highly populated, densely populated country, so it's a bit easier. But it's, you know. It, I, I don't think people realize how clever all that is, uh, yeah. support, how brilliant they are at, you know uh, production and the orders and the systems I, I mean i'm always fascinated always learning about it because it's it, it's fascinating and frozen's different from fresh and ambient different again and uh, it, it's it, it's really clever you know uh, yeah. the sticks and shifting boxes around and getting them there on time so the customer has you know, time in their fridge or cupboard—it's it, just brilliant, isn't it? It's genius. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It's clever. i don't know whether I answered your question, did I? <laughs> Maybe.
1: They're, all, they're all answers.
0: wasn't on, <laughs> <laughs> on,
1: on that note, probably time to draw it to a close. We got to have that list. We, <laughs> <laughs> we, um, yeah, we we are out of time. Neil, it's been it's been a delight as uh, as as always. Really, really interesting to hear your reflections on, on yeah what is quite an extensive career within uh, within the UK uh, food and drink retail uh, sector. So thank you for your time, uh, yeah. Neil. And we're very lucky to, wait, to be part of it. You know, it's great. Yeah. Um, and thank you listeners for listening to this episode of the Innovate Podcast. We will be back with another episode very soon. Uh, all that remains is for me to say thank you to uh, Neil Nugent, today's guest. Thank you. Cheers, guys. We really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Innovate podcast. To hear more bi-weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button below. Thank you.